Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Anybody else out of breath? (laughs) We got a young band, so it's hard to keep up with them. Good morning. Happy one year. Guys, today is awesome. I have been so excited for today for a really long time. My name is Chris, and I am the pastor here, and I usually introduce us as a brand new church here in Over the Rhine, and I think we're still very new, but today we're like... 52 weeks old, which is a big deal, and, uh, and that feels like something worth celebrating. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of this church. Uh, it's not just a year old. The, the dreams and the prayers go even further back than that. Uh, and so many great institutions, so many great institutions have been formed around a big question. So Steve Jobs was asking, is it possible to make computing uh, simple or simpler? Elon Musk was asking the question, is it possible to make electric cars not be awful? The BMV is asking the question, is it possible to make this more complicated and more expensive? Can we try to do both? We have one and then the other. And uh, just like so many of those great institutions, uh, City Church was born out of a big question as well. And that question was, is this possible? Is it possible for this to continue? Is it possible for this to continue? Because there was a group of people, uh, just five guys, that were gathered in a dorm room in Indiana University in 2010, and a lot of us were experiencing God for the first time. And I remember, specifically for me, I was a sophomore. Uh, I still had two and a half years left of college, but I had never experienced community like I was in that community. I'd never had friendships like I had with those people. And I had never been so, like, radically, you know, I grew up in the church, but I'd never been so radically encountered and changed by Jesus. And, uh, and it was a little bit of fear mixed with mostly excitement, I think, in that dorm room as we asked the question, like, is there anything that we can do to make sure this goes beyond college? Is there anything that we can do to make sure that um, family, this experience of community that we're having, is it possible to continue that? And is it possible to do that, not just for the sake of having friends, but for the sake of this one man that's radically changed our life? And so we're asking that question, and in looking back at, you know, the, let's call it the origin story of City Church, looking back, uh, it's always been about this idea of family, and, uh, and can we do this together? And, and, and this being, can we pursue with like reckless abandon this man who died on a cross and was resurrected and it's more than just a theological reality, but it's changed the life that we can live right now. And, uh, and in 2010, in a dorm room in Teeter at Bloomington, Indiana, uh, a dream was born. And the dream continued uh, long after that. There started to be four guys that gathered every Friday morning. Uh, myself, Tyler, Rob, a guy named Mitch, and we called ourselves the Honey Badgers off of a popular YouTube video at the time. If you're 27 and older, you're laughing. 
Uh, and at some point during the breakfast, one of us would say, honey badger don't care. Uh, but we would talk about possibly starting this church. And, uh, and yeah, so the honey badgers would meet. And uh, if that was the dumbest thing I did in college, that's not bad. It wasn't, but <laughs> it was one of them. And so we started meeting. And then the prayers and the dreams continued year after year after year. And it culminated with prayer meetings in uh, churches and youth buildings and on this thing, this platform called Skype that we used to have. We went to Vegas, or they came and visited Catherine and I in Vegas, and we prayed. And it culminated in one big road trip where we toured through the Midwest trying to figure out, as God had called us to plant a church in, uh, near our people, we were trying to figure out what city it was. And I remember we had all kinds of dreams of which one it might be. Chicago's influential, Indy's home, Nashville's really cool. And we kind of had a throwaway city because we had a free place to stay with the Snyders in Cincinnati. And we said, well, we'll do some meetings here. And I remember it was uh, in the afternoon, we had better meetings than we thought in this city that we didn't think had a chance. And we uh, were in this new, like, they called it like this up-and-coming neighborhood called Over the Rhine. And I remember walking outside of Coffee Emporium on now what I know is central. And I think all of us had some kind of moment similar to this, but I can tell you mine was I looked at the headquarters of Kroger, one of the biggest companies in the world, and then I looked at this mural on the side of a building, and I felt like, I, I mean, I literally said in my mind, I think I could give my life to this city. And there was a dream that continued to be germinated there. And over the last 11 years that led to about a year ago today, um, dreams were dreams, prayers were answered, and it gathered a, a really great team that made this church happen. I think I have a picture of what I'm calling the OG team, people that moved here, that we met here. And, uh, and a team was born that started this church, and 364 days ago, uh, prayers were answered in a really tangible way. And dreams were fulfilled in a really tangible way. And a family was started, and Jesus was worshipped. I have a picture of that, and we had this beautiful venue. Um, this is September 13th, 2020. We met at this beautiful venue called The Transept. It was perfect. It was amazing. We were meeting there for two weeks until uh, seven days before our third Sunday. They called us and they said, hey, we have a wedding this week, so you're not going to be able to gather. But we're like, we can't really afford to move somewhere far away because we only have two weeks of momentum. And so we started calling every building possible to figure out where we could go. And we said, if we're going to go anywhere, we've got to go somewhere close to the transept so that if people show up there, we can at least wave them across the street. And so we called the Shakespeare Theater. And for the last year, we've gotten to meet in this church. And this fall that we had in 2020 was really, really fun. Uh, raise your hand if you're around for most of the fall of 2020 at this church. It was a really, really fun fall uh, because uh, there was about 45 of us that gathered uh, regularly here. And, and if you're here, you know that it really started to feel like what I hope you experience if you're newer. It started to feel like family because you're doing life with the same 40, 45 people over and over again. And I remember in January, we entered um, kind of the new year, and there was um, a lot of momentum, but also there was just a lot of pain going on. Like in, you know, it's 40 people, so you know what's going on in everyone's life. And I remember there being like a ton of pain. We as a church had been trying to raise money. I mean, we had like crossed the country trying to fundraise, and we were just underfunded. I think I have a picture of a fundraising journey. Oh. <laughs> How'd that get in there? So sorry. Yeah. Tyler and Catherine worked much harder than I did, I guess. 
This is a picture of when we got our first church support, and we're crossing the country trying to raise money for this little church, and we just accepted that this is going to be an underfunded church, and yeah, we're pretty small, but that's okay, and there was a lot of uh, things that were needed in this community, and I remember I stood right here like in January, and you'll probably remember the Sunday, when there was about a 10-day period when it felt like the heavens were open and God just dropped his favor on this little church. And I stood up here and I got to talk about how uh, in 10 days, three random churches had called us from Phoenix and Illinois and Los Angeles. And they called us and said, hey, we're in for what you're doing. And we were like, man, I don't even remember asking you. (laughs) We had kind of just given up on that. And then stood up here and got to talk about how three people that needed jobs had jobs. And three people that were looking for houses got house uh, offers accepted. And two people got new cars. And two people got raises. One person got a promotion. One person that had lost a baby earlier that year had just gotten pregnant. And it felt, I mean, this is just 40 people, 40 adults. And it felt like the presence of God was dropped on us in a really tangible way. And again, I don't know why this happened. Maybe you started coming in January, but we went from about 45 people in this room to 90, uh, pretty much in a two-week period. I have no idea why. And we went throughout the spring, and the spring was really, really fun. And we launched, uh, did a big launch on Easter Sunday where uh, we had two services. There were about 200 people here. And I remember sitting up here, uh, and Tyler and I got to preach on the resurrection. And I remember it for two reasons. One, I was wearing slacks, and that doesn't happen super often. But the other one was, I remember sitting up here talking about Jesus, like coming out of the grave, and it was so fun. And, and I remember thinking, like, I think church is allowed to be fun. Amen? Like, I think church can be a party because we have the greatest news of all time, and Jesus seemed to be someone who liked celebrating, and it felt so much like a party. And a couple weeks after that, we had our first baptism as a church. We baptized uh, Corey Woodruff at our first service, and Corey's amazing, like, so mature, and we put him down into the water, or like, mostly in the water. We didn't know how long it took to fill up the, the tank, so he got baptized in like three inches of water, just the back of his head. You'll know him when you get to heaven. He'll be just half of a body. I'm kidding. That's not our conviction. And, uh, and then after that, got to baptize my friend Serhe. And, and unlike Corey, Serhe didn't know Jesus like a couple months before that. And he went from uh, just not following Jesus to kind of coming around on a Sunday. And then he would show up at our house group. And after a while of reading the Bible with him, it's like, man, I think this guy like, is actually following Jesus. And so baptized Corey, baptized Serhey. It was a party. And this summer has, um, has just been amazing as well. The momentum feels like it's both continued. But there's been uh, really good moments. There's been really hard moments. One of the big things that happened this summer is it felt like God was speaking um, a message of repentance over our church. And uh, that's not exactly like a church growth strategy, but we've been talking a lot about that. And it feels like God's been stirring in a number of us um, with just some things I'm hearing of like people giving up, not even things you have to give up, but you're wanting to give up more for the sake of knowing Jesus and pursuing him more. And it feels like God's stirring the pot for a move of him, which leads us to today. And as I look back at the last year, and maybe you've been around for the last year, as I look back even at the last 12 years, I can say that God has been faithful. God has been so faithful. And over the last year, prayers have been answered and dreams have been fulfilled. I think it's been a big theme that we've had at this church. Prayers have been answered and dreams have been 
fulfilled. And, uh, and one of the things I felt like as we were coming into this Sunday, Celebration Sunday, was I felt like God gave me this phrase, um, and I think it's for us, I know it's for me, but uh, that we're supposed to be uh, praying new prayers and dreaming new dreams. It's been such a season for probably most of us of like head down, get through it, and I felt like the Lord was saying it's time to pray new prayers and dream new dreams. And so today we're starting um, a new series. If you've been around for a while, we've been kind of gearing up for this one, and it's called By Design. And one of the dreams that we felt like as a team that we had uh, this summer, we had a retreat down in Kentucky, was um, we wanted our church, we wanted this family to be pursuing Jesus, but uh, what if we could do it like together? Like what if we were all doing the same thing um, together? How powerful would that be if it's not just you're focusing on that and I'm focusing on this, but of course those things can happen, but what if we were doing some of the same things? And so um, the idea of the next four weeks is what would happen if we were intentional about um, a few practices of Jesus? What would happen if we, as a community, said, hey, we're going to do these next four things for at least the rest of this year, and we're going to see what God does, because uh, we believe that God's asking us to dream dreams and pursue him more, but actually we're going to do it together. We're going to be doing a lot of the same things. And so four weeks, uh, we have four values as a church, and that's going to lead us to four practices. Um, But... If you're new here, uh, and if you showed up, maybe you heard from Instagram or from a friend, I know why you're here. You're here because you want to hear Deuteronomy 6, so that's where we're going to (laughs) be. I know, it's weird how I like read your mail on that. You came for Deuteronomy 6. Before we get there, I want to tell you a story. Uh, A guy, a rabbi named Eliezer Silver, uh, he was a rabbi in World War II, uh, or during World War II, and he... um, After the war, a bunch of German uh, Jewish children were displaced all over um, Europe to try to keep them away from the Nazis, and a lot of them were removed from their families, and they just fled to all kinds of places, or people helped them flee to all kinds of places. And uh, this rabbi heard that a monastery in southern France was um, hiding children there. And so he goes to this monastery in southern France, and uh, the rabbi and the monk are talking to each other, and this is not the start of a joke. It's a real story. Uh, the rabbi and the monk are talking. The rabbi says, I know that there's, I've heard there's children here that are Jewish. And, you know, they're five, six, seven years old. They've been there for five years. And he said, I know there's children here that are Jewish. I've got to return them. I want to return them to their families. Can you, can you like, help me figure out which ones are um, Jewish? And the monk said, I, I have no idea. Like, I know their last names, but that doesn't quite tell us if they're Jewish or if they're um, just German Christian. And the rabbi was stumped for a couple days, and he thought, how am I supposed to figure out if these kids are Jewish or not? Like, they don't remember what their religion or their heritage was. Until one day he remembered, they would have remembered something from their Jewish childhood. I know that they would have remembered a prayer, and he recited what uh, we call, what Jews call the Shema. I'm going to do my best. Um, He would have said, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6.4 that says, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as soon as he said Shema Israel, he started to see a few little faces among the crowd light up. Because they'd heard their parents pray that prayer when they were growing up. They, of course, knew the Shema because it was the prayer that Jewish families would have prayed. And he starts to recite that. And right after uh, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's that famous verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your strength. And this would have been a core, this is a core prayer in the Jewish faith. It would have been a core prayer that Jewish families would have prayed several times a day. It would have been a core prayer that a young boy named Jesus would have prayed several times a day. And that first word, Shema, it is uh, the word that they've just named the whole prayer after. And uh, Shema is translated here. Uh, and in ancient Hebrew, it's kind of, it's what you would maybe call like an impoverished language. There's only about 8,000 words in Hebrew, and you can compare that to 400,000 that we have in English. And so we have a word for everything. We have three or four or five words for everything. But in Hebrew, uh, because there were so few words, so many of them had such like a depth. And so we translate Shema as here. But very few words in Hebrew were just like a mental action. Most of them implied some kind of um, obedience or action or movement. And so Shema is translated here in English, but the better translation, and this is in your notes, is Shema would be translated hear and obey. So it's not just the vibrating of like your eardrums. It's not just sound coming in, but it's, it's moving it from here into your heart. It's supposed to be heard in your head, but it's supposed to also change the actions of your life. And Shema, hearing and obeying, would be the simplest definition of obe- or discipleship that I could think of, where we're hearing the voice of God and obeying what he says. And a lot of this started uh, with Plato, a Western mindset where uh, he said that everything that goes on in the mind is the highest world. The intellect is the highest power. The mind, the intellectual world is the best world, not the physical, not the emotional. And it's led to a world that probably overvalues intellect. That would not have been the world that Jesus grew up in. That would have not have been the scene that Jesus would have taught and done his life in. See, Jesus would have grown up in a world that says, yes, what you believe matters, but also what you do matters, and how that translates from your head to your heart, and not just what you believe or what you do, but who you become. That's a much more holistic, encompassing worldview that Jesus would have lived in. Jesus would have lived in a world that had a very short lead time from your head to your heart. And we, for better or for worse, mostly for worse, have made this journey this 18-inch journey from our head to our heart, very complicated. We've put a ton of obstacles and excuses, and it's been long, and, and we know way more than we actually obey, but that wouldn't have been the world that Jesus would have taught in. And so Jesus would have affirmed, and we should continue to remember this, what we believe matters. What we believe matters, our doctrine, our theology, our, our intellect does matter because Jesus said it matters, and... What we do matters and who we become matters. And that's primarily what the next four weeks are going to be about is what if we started to take some of the things we already know and we started to put them into practice? What if we acted on our beliefs instead of just accumulating more of them? What if we internalized the teachings of Jesus instead of just reading them? What if our inner life was as rich as the life that we portray on social media? What if our spiritual journeys were not just a hopeless, aimless thing, but they were by design. Because Shema would have begged us to do more than just hear the teachings of Jesus, but take them into account. So for the next four weeks, starting today, we want to distill, and this is totally unfair, um, this is what we do every week, but we want to at least distill four teachings or practices of Jesus into four things that we want to do as a community. And... um, 
I think the impact of this is not just that we're going to do four different things, but we're going to do them together as a community and as a family, because Jesus was not aimless. Jesus was not um, hopeless. He wasn't just drifting through life. Jesus lived his life by design. And so that whole introduction, I'd cancel my lunch plans if I were you, (laughs) leads us to our very first value and our very first practice This one's going to be incredibly easy. It's going to be simple. If you've been around, you've heard this before. But our first value at this church is family. And we wanted to start here not just because we say it first, but because the rest of these three are going to be way more engaging, but they're going to be way more fun if we start in the context of family. Following Jesus is way more fun, way more doable, way more practical if we start with the context of family. Because when you read the New Testament, so much of it is through this lens of community or family. There's 21 letters that are written in the New Testament. 17 of them are written to churches or cities or people groups. Only four of them are written to individuals saying, this is just for you. Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus, one of his big prayers was in John 17, where he said, hey, I think the rest of the world could know what's going on here by the way that you guys love one another. And the way that you guys love one another must mean that we have to be in relationship to show the world that Jesus is real. The men and women that turned the world upside down, they were uh, often, if you read through the book of Acts, you rarely see a story where it's just one of them going out and doing something. It's usually a bunch of them together in a room or a bunch of them out in the temple courts or two of them going to this city or to that. So much of the New Testament, so much of the early church is lived through community. And so we're going to go to Acts 2, uh, classic, classic church, classic family text. But uh, we've learned so much from Acts 2, specifically Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I want to just look at that, and I want to pick out what are some of the characteristics that this early church was practicing? What are some of the characteristics that said that there was teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread? There's so many wonders and signs. So there was miracles in the first church. There was teaching. There was prayer said that they were giving stuff to one another. There was radical generosity that was there. It says every day they continued to meet together. There was a frequency of the early church. There was a rhythm of, no, we're not just going to get together like once a month or once a quarter. There was a frequency. At the very end, it says that there was favor. God let his favor out on that church, and the Lord added to their number daily those those that were being saved. There was growth in the early church. But one verse that has probably shaped this church's strategy more than any other is uh, verse 46. And it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. The temple courts would have been large. Hundreds could have fit there, if not like a thousand. This would have been a large venue, larger than this, but maybe similar to what this feels like. There was lots of people gathered. And then right after that, it said that they were breaking bread in their homes. Acts 5.42 says that every day they continued to meet in the temple courts and from house to house. And so there was an early rhythm. There was miracles and teaching and prayer and favor. But the earliest rhythm that we can see of the the early church is a, a this and then a this. The temple courts and house to house. A large teaching venue and prayer with a few others. A big celebration and greater intimacy with just a few. And this verse has shaped so much of our strategy because we talk about being a church with two front doors, and the reason we talk about that is because it seems like the early church was a church with two front doors. And we've set up our church that if you want to experience the fullness of what's going on here, there's going to be some things we're going to only do on a Sunday morning. 
there's going to be some things that we just feel like are better in a living room. And we're not going to try to cram everything that the church is called to do into a Sunday, because if we're honest, there's just some things that are better with a few people around a dining room table or around a couch in somebody's living room. And so the fullness of what this church has to offer is not just this or this, but it's both, because we see the early church having this rhythm of temple courts and house to house. And so the very first practice, uh, and this is, we're going to start so simple. The very first practice we're doing all together is we're going to join a house group. I know, profound. We've never talked about this before. This is brand new. Um, But when we think about family, some of these others will be more complicated or a little bit more engaging, but there just was not a reinventing the wheel here. And when we think about doing life in the context of family, we think about that second front door. And if you're new here, you're like, man, that's really good. I can hear you. That's a good idea. That's great. I love that. If you've been here a while, you're like, this is all this guy talks about. (laughs) Here he is with the two front doors. I heard he put a second front door at his house. It's a duplex, okay? (laughs) This is a big, big deal around this church that we believe what happens on a Sunday morning is really, really important, but it's not all-encompassing. What happens in your living room or my living room is just as important. What this doesn't mean is uh, we want you to join a house group. What this doesn't mean is you go to the first one and all of a sudden you don't like or don't connect with anybody there and you're just stuck. We also want to recognize these might not be your best friends also. They could become that or some of them could, but we want to say like, no, we want to commit over time uh, and feel free, try a couple in the first couple weeks. I think that is probably where you're going to find your best place, but try a couple, but eventually we would love to see you commit and be there regularly. And uh, I'm super naive to say this, but I'd love 100% participation on this. Yeah, crazy. Not going to happen. But it could. It could because I really, really believe this is going to be the life-changing DNA of our church of getting together in the living room and not just here on a Sunday morning. So if there's ever a moment that you could tune me out, it's for the next like uh, two minutes as we just slowly scroll through the pictures of the house groups. I want you to try to figure out what one, because we're launching them this week, what one best fits me, my time, my demographic. Actually, we don't really divide groups by demographic um, except for our like college group. I went there for the first couple weeks it started, and if you're over 25, like, you will not fit in. (laughs) I didn't know, like, anything you guys were saying. I don't understand what they're talking about. Like, I would recommend if you're over 25, don't go to that one. (laughs) Other than that, uh, we think that anybody could fit in anywhere. If you have kids, there's three of the seven groups that are kid-friendly, and uh, these meet at people's houses. There are, uh, there's more than one leader and uh, here's what I'd say. Try two this week. I don't know. That's asking a lot. Following Jesus takes time. But try two this week. Like, go to a couple and say, okay, I think I could probably commit to this one. Or if you absolutely can't do that, go to one this week and one the next week. And then choose uh, and commit to one of those. Because we really, really believe this is going to be the, the foundational practice that kind of propels us into this next season. Also, you can go uh, after service. We have a lobby or we, have, we do have a lobby, you walk through it. Uh, we also have a table in that lobby that says house groups, Caitlin and Mandy are gonna be there, they'll help you find one. But here's what I'd love, 100% participation because I really believe this is the practice. When we talk about family, everything is done better, more effective, and, uh, and just, it's just more fun doing those kinds of things in the context of family. And the three weeks after this is we continue this series called By Design. My friend Wilson, who was here last week, he and I 
are going to go back and forth on three different practices that we're going to do. Um, next week is presence, which is hearing God's voice, which is going to be really, really fun. But we want to be on this journey together. And by October, November, we're going to be doing all of the same things together. And I really, really am excited to see how it changes the makeup of our church. So in this season, I felt like the Lord said um, to dream again and to pray again and to pray big prayers that you've maybe put back on the shelf. And uh, if I'm honest, Friday, I was trying to figure out how do I like land the plane for this message this is just a window into my world. Uh, I, ideally, I'm finished with what I'm going to say on Friday, but that was not the case. And, uh, and I didn't know how to end. I, all I had was this phrase of pray new prayers, dream new dreams. And I keep, um, this might sound weird, I keep like a prophetic journal where uh, any dream that I've had that I feel like could be from the Lord, I write down in this journal or any word or prayer that somebody's prayed over me. And it's just like a little tiny journal, but I was like, well, Maybe this will spark something in me, or this will spark like how I can pray new prayers and dream new dreams. And I was flipping through, and this is going to be mostly my journey. I can only share my journey, but I was so blown away. I'd forgotten some of the things that were spoken over my life of how I ended up here, and how um, at least I got to be a part of this church that now is turning one year old, because I used to be in Las Vegas, Catherine and I lived there, and we, um, we really loved it there, and we had a really, really great community, and, uh, and I got to lead, um, for the last two years we were there, I was the pastor of this really great church, and uh, when that happened, uh, this dream of planting a church one day started to get a little bit smaller, because I wasn't positive that I wanted or I was supposed to leave, and we were supposed to come here, and I had a dream in uh, 2016, uh, where I, you know, we had a staff at this church and just a bunch of friends, and I had a dream that um, all of the people in our church, all of our staff, and a lot of my friends were walking on water. And we were in Las Vegas, and they were literally walking on water. It was amazing. And I could just tell, like, this represented them, like, they were doing incredible things, because that's incredible. And, uh, and then I looked, and Catherine was next to me, and we were on the shore, and, uh, but there was like not a hint of jealousy. We weren't walking on the water. We weren't doing anything cool. And I looked and we were on the shore and they were walking on the water with not a hint of jealousy. And I woke up and I felt like, I felt like maybe I'm not supposed to be here anymore. And that this church, this community would be able to keep going without me. They're not going to stop being friends or stop seeing God move if we left. And so a seed was planted of like, okay, maybe this isn't for you forever. And uh, fast forward about a year, uh, we had this great road trip, and a bunch of us were trying to figure out if we're going to move here. And Catherine and I, we just had, we'd do this marriage retreat every December, and we had just made the decision a few days before this, um, okay, I think we're, I think we're just going to do it. We prayed. It wasn't like a profound moment. We didn't see Gabriel. He wasn't there. But uh, we felt like we're supposed to move to Cincinnati. And I was starting to feel a little bit insecure about that decision because I really loved Vegas and I really loved that community. And we hadn't told anybody yet, but um, I had totally forgotten about this. But I have a picture of one of the entries of my journal. This is like days after. It said, we had a worship night and Aaron Calkins, who's just a girl at our church, told me that similar to how Bill Johnson is the father of a significant entity, I will be too. And here's what got me. And then she said, and it won't break me to lead it, which is a relief. <laughs> It's more of a relief now than you know back in 2018. 
I actually read that this week after having some thoughts for the last year and a half of like, man, this is amazing. I love this church. I love getting to do what I do. I really hope it doesn't break me. And that wasn't for me in 2018. That was for me two days ago. And then she said this in a really nonchalant way, and I totally had forgotten. She said, it's not Grace City, which was the name of our church out there. And this girl, I think, liked me as a pastor and liked having me there. And I was the, I was the leader of her church. And she gets this word from the Lord without knowing that we had just made the decision to move here. And she said, hey, you're going to get to lead something, and it's going to be really great. And jury's still out on that, but I think it's pretty great. And she said, also, it's not here. Like, it's going to be somewhere else. And I remember my heart being so affirmed that there's a tough message, there's a tough announcement, announcement that's coming, but I think that... There's a dream that's been put in somebody. There's a prayer that's been prayed over somebody else that God cares about us enough that he wanted her to tell me. And so we move here, and uh, at the very beginning of being in Cincinnati, there was just five of us, Catherine and I, Tyler, Josh, and Abby, and we were praying some big prayers. I mean, this is like two-plus years ago. And uh, we were praying for a city, or uh, sorry, a neighborhood and a name, and we were praying a lot for fundraising and uh, that Jesus would be the center of everything that we're doing. And we were really praying that we, as five people, that we would be healthy and that our team would be healthy. And we had to fight for that one. <laughs> Josh and Catherine just can't seem to stop fighting. It's crazy. <laughs> you know them, though. And uh, we prayed that our team would be healthy. And then I remember we were praying for the family to form. And I was thinking about that prayer because it's like we, don't, we barely knew anybody. Like we could probably beg somebody to come and we'd have a church of six. And I knew that I'd be preaching this, looking around, seeing a total answer to that prayer that the five of us were praying two plus years ago. We were praying for a family and people to see the vision and for people to join in on what we felt like God had spoken in our lives. And that's just my story. I don't know yours. I think it's possible that you were praying for a community or a new church or friends or something that would be in the heart of the city or a church that would welcome you for who you are, or a church that would be pursuing Jesus but still care about the people that were down and out, or a church that would be in the heart of the city that was for the city, or a church that would be part of people in your demographic, or a church that cared about the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Maybe, I don't know what your prayer is, but I know that my prayer, just standing here, has been so wonderfully answered. And I flipped through the rest of my journal. There was only like four or five pages um, until it went empty and hardly anything in the last year. And uh, again, there's a season to dream and a season to do, and I feel like I personally have been in a season of doing. But I felt like the Lord said for us, it's time to dream again. And it's time to pray new prayers. It's time to dream new dreams. And so I want to share a few dreams that I have for our church. Super practical. Um, You're here, your family. These are what I'm praying and what I'm dreaming and others for this church. And I'm going to share some of my own and then uh, it's going to be on you as well. Uh, I'd love for you to share what you're dreaming or what you're praying for. Uh, I'm praying for our church uh, for a mailbox that's attached to a permanent address. A lot of people are praying and dreaming for that with us, and, uh, and I need you to know this. Wherever we go after this will not be as nice. You are spoiled. <laughs> this is like a brand new multi-million dollar, like I want somewhere new, but you need to understand wherever we go, it won't look like this. 
But I'm really dreaming and praying about an address and a place that we can call home and a place that we can do things throughout the week and a place that um, we can say we're taking land in the city because we believe God's called us here. I'm praying, um, legitimately I am praying, not just because it's today, but I'm praying that what happens in our living rooms would grow faster and healthier than even our Sunday mornings would. I'm dreaming of our church being awakened to greater levels of prayer. Um, that we would be a church that's known by how much we pray and that we would take prayer seriously and that we would be pressing in to the presence of God for him to do miracles and uh, crazy things in our city. I'm dreaming that we would continue to grow but not lose being a place uh, for the downtrodden or those that have been hurt outside the church, inside the church. I'm dreaming about still being a church for the marginalized or the forgotten. And I was having uh, lunch a couple uh, a couple weeks ago now with Jalen at Skyline, as we do. And, um, and he started, you know, he just got back from Michigan and he was sharing, you know, hanging out with some of his friends and he just started to get stirred up because his friends sound amazing, like for these fiery Christians and he lived in this community and he's kind of reliving the glory days and it made me relive the glory days. Oh man, I remember when my community prayed for this and we just start swapping stories back and forth and it was literally like dumping gasoline on each other's fire. And then there was a moment where it kind of shifted in our conversation from like the what if to why not. And I mean, seriously, because we're looking around, it's like, well, is anybody else gonna stop us from doing this? Is there anybody else that's going to stop us from like having a church go all after the presence of God? And we're looking around, it's like, you're on stage a lot, so am I. I guess like if anybody's not going to do it, it's probably on us. And so we're talking about what would it look like in this year if a church just got hit by the presence of God, if we were so hungry for God, and I know I sound a little bit idealistic and a little bit naive, and I don't think revival's around every corner, but I am just naive enough to believe that if God wanted to do it, he could do it here in the middle of Cincinnati at a new church that is filled with people that are hungry for the presence of God and that are repenting because they want more of the holiness of God and that are excited about what God's doing, not just out in the suburbs, but here in the city. I'm just naive enough to believe that that's possible, and I've got a young little worship leader that's just naive enough to believe it as well. And I'm so excited about where God's taking us. Some of my dreams are, uh, this is my prayer for myself every year, but that my ministry would always be from a place of intimacy. And I never want uh, anything I do up here, I want my most spiritual moments to be the things that you guys never see. It's the things early in the morning or sometimes not that early, in my chair. That's the, that's the intimacy place for me. I never want anything that I do um, outside to not be from a place of intimacy. A lot of you guys know Catherine and I are uh, dreaming about being pregnant. It's a big prayer that we've been praying for the last five years. Uh, I've been made aware in the last uh, few weeks that I live in more fear than I thought I did. I had no idea. I make a lot of decisions out of fear and not out of um, identity or out of confidence in God. And so I'm dreaming personally, it's just me, but I'm dreaming about being a little bit more fearless and a little bit more uh, joyful and living into the joy of God. These are the things I'm dreaming. What's stirring in your heart? What are the dreams that you haven't felt permission to dream in a while? What are the prayers I can name one, I just named one, that you've been praying for so long that it's just not even worth praying anymore, so you just put it on the shelf. Guys, I believe that God's saying it's time for us to dream again. 
it's time for us to pray big prayers again. If the band wants to come back up, I want to go into a moment of worship, and I want to answer that question. I want all of you to start to ponder what that means for you. I've shared mine, but it's not a copy and paste thing. What's God stirring in your heart? What haven't you been allowed to dream? James 5.16 in the Passion Translation says, The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous believer is able to accomplish much. What if as a community we just started to dream again? What if as a community we started to press into God in prayer again? What if we started to dream new dreams and pray new prayers for our city, for our community, for our church, for ourselves? So um, as you feel ready, uh, behind the stage there is um, some little note cards that we're going to write our prayers on. And we're going to pin it to the canvas. And uh, we don't want this to just be like a a me thing, a staff thing, a band thing. Like, this is an us thing. Um, Our prayers matter. My individual prayers, they matter, but they don't matter any more than what you're praying for your life or what you're dreaming for your life. And so take a moment right now, and I want you to think, what am I dreaming about? What are the prayers that I've kind of put back on the shelf? And not like safe travels or bless this meal. Like, I'm talking bigger than that. What are the things that you're hoping for again? Father, we ask that you would teach us what it looks like to dream. God, would you put, uh, just like you put dreams in our hearts 12 years ago, would you put dreams and prayers inside of our hearts now that could change the course of our lives, of this city, of this church, of history? God, we don't ever want to believe um, you too small. Teach us what it looks like to dream again.